This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The gospel of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we would hear not just the words of men, but the words of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to take that as my text this morning from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 984, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, and beginning at verse 34. This morning I want to talk about love prioritized. Love prioritized. Someone has written, our problem as Christians is not that we fail to love altogether. Instead, our problem is that we tend to love the wrong things. <laughs> or as we reflect on what Jesus is saying in today's text, we might also say that our love is often disordered. Or if you like, by faith standard, our love is not properly prioritized. But in our text, Jesus, whom most of us would claim as our Lord and Savior, Jesus is quite clear about how we are to love and what is the proper order of doing that. And in our text, Jesus says that our first love is meant to be love for God. Love for God. In fact, notice again our text, beginning at verse 34 through 38, as it happens. And when the Pharisees heard that Jesus, he, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And they were very much about doing that all the time, about putting things in order and such like that. And of course, what they were hoping is that he would say the wrong thing so that they might discredit him. But as it happened, he didn't. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it, as he continues. And so Matthew says that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, and we're going to explain that in just a moment. The Pharisees gathered together. Now, the Pharisees were, um, if you like, uh, the majority religious sect in Jesus' day. They came from what we would call today the middle class. They weren't landowners, but they oftentimes had successful businesses. They were, if you like, tradesmen. Uh, they were strict keepers of the Mosaic law and the traditions of the rabbis as it had been handed down to them. And by and large, the Pharisees were widely respected by the people. 
and they made up the minority party in the Sanhedrin, or if you like, the Jewish council that was based in Jerusalem. In contrast to the Pharisees, the Sadducees made up the majority party in the Sanhedrin. They held the position of high priest and oftentimes are referred to as the chief priests in the New Testament. They were over the cultists and over worship and so on. They by and large came from wealthy land-owning families and they more or less controlled Jewish politics in Palestine. And their theology, the theology of the Sadducees, differed significantly from the theology of the Pharisees. For instance, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. In fact, that was what, if you follow the context just before we get to this, they were trying to trip Jesus up by asking a question that was related to resurrection. And Jesus answered the, addressed the issue quite, uh, quite well, and they had nothing more to say, which often was the way in which things went when you were trying to trip Jesus up. God come in the flesh. We shouldn't be too terribly surprised. But their theology was different from the Pharisees. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in life after death. Once you died, that was it, and good luck to you. And so Matthew says that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced their theological enemies, the Sadducees, the Pharisees gathered together. And so the Pharisees were happy that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, but like the Sadducees, the leading Pharisees were also eager to get rid of Jesus, as eager as the Sadducees were. And so Matthew says that when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees gathered together. Or as Peterson puts it in the message, they gathered their forces for an assault. Which I thought was a great way to put it. And as Matthew says, and one of the Pharisees, that is one of this group, representing the group, a lawyer that is an expert in religious law, asked Jesus a question to test him. And so while the question is different, the intent is the same as the Sadducees. They get him to trip, trip up in his words and take him down, take his influence away, make him look a fool in the presence of all those present. Or as the New Living Translation, in order to trap him, or as Peterson again in the message puts it, posing a question they hope would show Jesus up. And so Matthew says that one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment, or we would say the greatest, he's talking about it in a superlative way, the great commandment in the law. In fact, there was 613 by their count. So which of the 613 is the greatest? Verse 37, and Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And so Jesus says that this is first because it matters most, namely to love God. And so this is where the love priority begins. Which begs the question, and so, what do you love most? What would you describe or identify as your first love? That was a question that was 
or a, a comment that was made to one of the churches in uh, Revelation, you have, you have lost your first love, meaning God. As someone has written, what you love most is what you love first. What would other people say about that? About you? Her first love is what? His first love is what? I said, you know, in the church, oftentimes, well, you know, family comes first. <laughs> Apparently, you haven't read the New Testament. In fact, Jesus says, if you're not willing to hate your father and mother and so on, you cannot be my disciple. God comes first. And by the way, for those for whom God comes first, you'll never be a better parent and never a better spouse, never a better child. And we'll have a little more to say about that. Someone else has written, commenting on the subject of priority. A priority is not something you may or may not get round to doing. What do you think, hon? <coughs> Shall we go to church? Well, you know, it's been kind of a rough weekend, and we were out till three last night. Oh, here's a good one when the kids come and ask you that. They know it's not a priority because they think it's an option. Are we going to church today? A priority is not something we may or may not get round to doing. A priority is not something we do only after we've done everything else. Rather, a priority is that which is front and center in your life. It is the thing you do first because it matters most. That's a priority. And so Jesus said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. That is to say, for the believer, all true love, it's the first because he's suggesting there's more, for the believer, the all true love begins and flows from our first love, our love for God. In fact, John Burke up in Austin, in his book, Soul Revolution, I think he's still in Austin. He may have moved somewhere else, I don't know. You know how clergy do. He said, we were created for a love relationship with God first, and then others. God's will is that we learn to love Him so that He then can teach us how to love others. And so how are we to love God, by the way? That's a good question. All right, we should love it. And how? Apparently with total abandon. Notice verse 37, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. <laughs> what does that look like? Well, you know, we don't want to be fanatical. I'm guessing that you're probably fanatical about something else. Hey, that's a good one. How about if you loved God as much as you love that thing? <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And so with all we are, in fact, that's um, suggested in the word soul, your, your being. 
And so with all that we are and all that we have, because by extension what we have is an extension of us and how we manage it is an, ex an extension of what we value, and what we believe. And not as an afterthought, but in our first thinking, what does it mean to love Him with all your mind? I mean, everything that you do and say all starts in the mind. And so it gets settled with God and the world there. To love Him with all your mind. And so when you speak and when you act, it's the reflection of a mind that's set on God. And not with half a heart, but all your heart. Go ahead and sing as if no one were listening and dance as if no one were watching. And when you sing and dance, do it for God. Your spouse might get upset, you know, like David's wife. <laughs> but go on and do it anyway. I love what someone has written. We cannot give God half of our heart and expect the whole of our heart to be satisfied. Wow. You're wondering like, you know, I might, hey, you know, spirituality is just not working for me. Well, you're going to have to put both feet in and stop splashing around in the wading pool. And jump in at the deep end. That'll be exciting, especially if you can't swim, because God will come down and get you out of there. And that'll be exciting. It's sort of like the Apostle Paul. He wanted to die so he could experience what it is to be resurrected. And it's out of this total commitment to God that we are totally committed to loving others. And we wouldn't even know what total commitment to loving others is until we're totally committed to loving God. And so that's the first thing. Our first love is meant to be love for God. And then secondly and finally, our second love is meant to be love for neighbor. That is, love for others. Notice again in the text. Verse 34, and when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the law, asked Jesus a question to test him, to put him to the test. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says something very interesting. On these two commandments, just the two, depends, or in the Greek, hangs like pegs. All the law and the prophets. Everything said in the word of God falls on one of those pegs. It's either a call to love God or it's a call to love neighbor. In fact, the pen, or the, the um, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, are organized in that way. That they sometimes referred to as the, the table of your, tablet of your duty to God and your duty to man or humanity, your neighbors. And so Jesus says that the second is like it. The second is like the first. That is to say that both of them have a similarity. That is, both of them have to do with love. And you are the subject. And two objects. In the first case, the object of your love is God. And in the second case, 
the object of your love is your neighbor. But the priority is clear, right? Number one, number two, love God, number one, love two, your neighbor. The second love after the first. And so Jesus says, and the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so who is my neighbor? Uh, someone once asked that, uh, asked Jesus about that because they think he was trying to get out of uh, not have, having to love everybody. So he wanted to specifically um, determine who his neighbor was. It's almost like, oh man, do I have to love? Well, if I have to love, let's narrow it down. <laughs> All right? I mean, you don't know any unlovable people, do you? And maybe some of you are applying for that role. <laughs> who is my neighbor? You know who your neighbor is? Everyone. I said, well, I can't wrap my head around that. Well, you know, it's interesting. As I was thinking about this and going through this, and I came across an old uh, quote from Donald Miller in one of his books, uh, A Thousand Miles in a Million Years. He, and he said this. is very interesting. He said, when you fly across the country in an airplane, the country seems vast. But it isn't, he says. It's all connected by roads that one can ride a bike down. If you watch the news and there's a tragedy at a house in Kansas, that guy's driveway connects to yours. And you'd be surprised how few roads it takes to get there. <laughs> That's brilliant. In fact, that last part, and it, you'd be surprised how few... Have you ever taken a long, long trip? It's like 2,000 miles, you know? And it took you... It was two turns to get on the freeway... And when it came for you to take your exit to get to your final destination, it was two turns to your final destination. And that's what he's saying here. You're connected to that guy. I mean, you think about that. All that's going on in Palestine and Gaza and the Jews and the Palestinians. That's not just about them. I've been to Israel. That's about us. And on and on we might go. And we pray for people because a hurricane came through and so on and so forth. Or a couple, of, not this last weekend, but the weekend before on a sunny, there was a terrible accident here. In fact, we were all doing the pumpkin patch and we heard this just awful smashing. Some of our people went down there and came back with a report. And then we got more information as, as, it, as the information was released by the police. And one of the guys said, he says, that's what I need to see on a Sunday, them taking a baby dead out of a minivan. That's not just about them. Do you have, an, do you have a baby? Do you have a child? I mean, who, who, what parent does it? When you read in the Bible about the 12-year-old girl, you know, I read that and I think about, well, my girl's almost 25 now, but that's who I think about. That's my Victoria. And what can I do to help you? And that's what Jesus did. What can I do to help you with your 12-year-old girl? What can we do? How can we pray? And we were praying last Sunday, boy. This is not about, you know, it's like Don said, you know, don't ask for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for you. You're a dying man and a dying woman. And we may not be all in the same boat, but we're sure all in the same storm. Amen? When you fly across the country, it's in an airplane, that country seems vast, but it isn't. 
all that is, is connected by a road that one can ride a bicycle down. And if you watch the news and there's a tragedy in a house in Kansas, that guy's driveway is connected to your driveway. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how few roads it takes to get there. And so who's my neighbor? Everybody. Everyone in your house. By the way, sometimes in our houses, we're not very neighborly. Treat your, treat your spouse and your kids like you would a neighbor, like this. Everyone in your house, everyone in your neighborhood, everyone in your church, everyone at your job, everyone in town, everyone across the nation, everyone across the world. Linda and I, before Linda, before Linda and I were married, she, had a, she was a part of supporting a child with Compassion International. And then we got married, we continued to do that, and then we added a child, and then just recently we added another child. Wonderful, right? Man, but they were sure quick to tell me that she had a birthday coming up, and I better hurry up and send her a birthday, <laughs> birthday present. Right? What a, what a delight! And so we're connected to Kenya, we're connected to Bangladesh, we're connected to El Salvador. And you too, I know, you do the same things. And how are we to love these people in our homes, in our church, across the nation, as we love ourselves? That is, with the same interest and concern with which we tend to our own needs, that they matter too. Don't, don't ever say better off them than me. Right. To love them with the same interest and concern with which we tend to our own needs. To love them as God loves them. Indeed, is God merciful to you? Be merciful to other people. I love what uh, 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 Nicky Gumbel, he defined mercy as the absence of finding fault. Give them a break, why don't you? <laughs> right? Are you always finding fault with people? Because you're so perfect and they're so annoying. Is God, you know what, I get annoyed and, I, and then I stop, I stop that and I say, God, how annoyed must you be with me? <laughs> Is God merciful to you? Be merciful to them. Does God forgive you? Then you forgive them. Does God supply your needs? Then help them when you hear that they're in need. Does God wish you well? I know the plans I have for you, not plans to harm you, plans to prosper you. Do you wish everyone well? Wish them well. In fact, you'll be a whole lot happier if you lived in that way. And then Jesus concludes, interest, interesting, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I think we've already mentioned that. It all boils down to this. Love for God and love for neighbor. That's good. That's it. You got two things to do. <laughs> love God and love neighbor. And if you're loving God well, you'll also love your neighbor well. Indeed, if you're not, if you're having trouble loving your neighbor, 
That's because you're not loving God well. Indeed, the order and the priority is indissoluble, unchangeable in the, in the eternal existence of God. It's forever settled in heaven, to quote the psalmist. The order and the priority is indissoluble. Firstly, love God, and secondly, love neighbor. Indeed, if you're having a problem with that, or, or either one, the place to begin is with loving God. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said, put God in his right place and a thousand problems will be solved at once. Put God in his proper place and a thousand problems will be solved at once. Amen? Love prioritized. Let us pray. Uh, it's simple, but someone would say it's not easy. I don't know, Lord. I don't know. It might seem a great deal harder than it is. In fact, uh, the testimony of people who take this on and make it their own say, this is a whole lot easier than the burdens and the baggage I insisted on carrying and taking with me everywhere I went. This is, it seems to me, Lord, a call to freedom. <laughs> to let it go. Or as the word forgiveness means, to release it. To release. To release. Help us to do these things, Lord. They're so basic. And they're so simple. And they're so beautiful. They're so life-changing. They're so glorious. They are indeed like a light shining in the darkness that can hardly be ignored. May the things that we describe, Lord, be a description of our life, or at least the goal to which we are driving. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.